Welcome, dear listeners, to Broken Potholes. I'm here today. This is Chuck Warren with my co-host, Kylie Kipper. We're just going to call her Kip today. She is replacing Sam Stone, who has had a miserable red-eye back from Boston, attending a family anniversary. So we wish Sam well as he naps currently. Um, Welcome today. Today we are honored to have with us online Congressman Burgess Owens from Utah CD4. Hello, Congressman. Chuck, I'm doing great. Looking forward to chatting with you and Kip for sure. Thanks, my friend. So, so let's start this off right away with one question. What what has surprised you first when you were a candidate for Congress? Is is there something that happened on that path that surprised you? And two, now that you're an elected congressman, what has surprised you about being in Congress? You know, that's that's a good good, good question. And I think because it's all new, uh, I'm I'm just. Uh, taking it all in, to be honest with you. Uh, this is something that up until two years ago, I said I would never, ever do as run for, for, for uh, Congress or any type, of, uh, any type of politician. So it's all new to me in a sense. Uh, what I will say is I'm excited about being on the field of action at this time versus the sideline. And uh, I, I would say also some of the things that once I've uh, mayor surprised me is really uh, how uh, how different we look at certain uh, a certain basic uh, fundamental policies that, that I'm now working with the Democrats. Uh, we have, for instance, the $15 per um, uh, $15 per hour that the Democrats are trying to put across our country. And and here in Utah, we we are you know, we're right to work state number one, and we're a state that truly has a, a lot of entrepreneurs. Over 97,000, 93% are small business owners. So we know what it what it is to to first of all care about those that uh, their employees, and also what it takes to to build a business. And so, what the conversation we're having, we're going through this this process. They they wanted to put a fifteen dollar per hour uh, minimum on every state across the country. And my comment to my California friends were, "Listen, uh, we know we know what we're doing here in Utah. We're very excited about our growth. We're, we're the fastest growing uh, to, to bounce back. Uh, we know what it takes. We don't want what you guys have in Utah. Matter of fact, many of your California uh, uh, you know, folks are actually moving to Utah." Because of this, and the response to that from one of my friends uh, on the other side of the aisle was, "Well, if you go ahead and and you make it fifteen dollars across the country, then people will stay in California." And and I mean, what do you say to that? Um, and so that's the kind of that's the kind of conversation we're trying to wake up, make our way through, and uh, try to help the other side of the aisle recognize we need to support our businesses, allow them to come back and grow. And you can't do it by by doing things that only work in, in, in Washington, D.C. Well, that, never run a business. that's a real interesting point. I mean, there's a book, you, you and I are old enough to remember, um, Kip is not, but there was a book years ago, Men Are From Venus, Women From Mars, yeah, or vice yeah. versa, you know, talking about how men and women just look at things differently, communicate differently. Yes. And you brought up a very good point, which I don't hear people talk about enough. There is one side in Congress, Democrats, that look at the world a completely different way than you and I and other conservatives or even moderates look at it, right? Um, you know, moderates often, I, I'm not sure really, you know, I'm interested in what the definition of a moderate is. No one's explained it to me yet, you know, but I think what moderates generally are, are people who like a certain tone, right? You got to be trying. I mean, I think that's where a moderate usually is. But we are, we have a group on the other side and we're both polar opposite on how we view the world. I think the COVID was a perfect example. We had one side that realized there's some chances people have to take. And he had an other side and their followers who said, I need a hundred percent guaranteed I'm going to live. Yeah. 
And yeah. I, I mean, so how do you how do you work around that in Congress and try to get things actually done that benefit society? Well, to that point, I think COVID has been a a blessing in one way. Obviously, there's a lot of a lot of stuff we're going through, but there's a contrast we now see that I, I think is a nation we never have really seen before. And and I, I want to kind of when I say this, I want to reach out to my my Democratic friends um, and liberal friends because they are good people on both sides. But I right. really care about our country. They want the best for our country. What we're seeing though is something that's totally different than what we the people want. Uh, there is another side of this of this this conversation is is Marxism and socialism, and I think it's time to really. Uh, take time to understand that it's real, that it's uh, it's been real for for forever. It's it's the total, uh, total opposite of, of what we believe here in this country of God, country, family, respect for women, authority. There's another side of this process that destroys, and it's all about chaos. And what I what I recognize about Marxism is that they love to hide behind good hearts. So we have people in the Democratic Party uh, down the far far left. That does not care about our country, but are willing to hide behind good people in the Democratic Party, and meanwhile they bring misery to to all of us. So what we're seeing uh, this last year is for the first time. Think about this: who and who who who, who have ever understood our nation, ever thought they would come to a point where somebody could tell us we cannot open our business, we can't go to school, and we can't open our church, go to church. Never have those kind of freedoms that we ever thought was at, at risk, but it has been at risk. And it's been a process of aggression that has been coming at us for a long time. I think what's coming out of this last year is the best thing for Americans, which we do best than anybody else, is we, we communicate. We, the people, once we start talking to each other uh, across the aisle and realize we have those, whatever we have in common is what we work toward, then we just win. And I, I think we're going to come out of this after the next two years as we're seeing this, this, the, the contrast of dark, divisive, angry, hateful, um, um, shutting down our economy, that's what, that's what the Democratic Party now offers to American people. And we're not going to go for that. We love the light. We love uh, opportunity. We love the dreams. We love to take risks. And the American people will automatically drift back in that direction. And we're going to see that happen in 2022. I'm very confident about that. Congressman, this is Kip. And I have a, a just a question to play off of that. How has um, the communication between the Democrat House leadership and the Biden administration been with uh, Republican members of Congress? And There's really not been a lot of com- uh, communication. I think we're all seeing, uh, as a nation, a divisiveness that we have not experienced before now. Um, I-, I think what happens is yes, you now have those that are running the Democratic Party that are seeing they're you know, literally inches away from power. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing about the far left, power means everything to them. And I'm speaking now from a perspective of a young man that grew up in a community that was very, very successful. Even though it was a segregated community in Tallahassee in the 60s, we, we still believed in God, country, family, respect of women, and authority. That was what our dads taught us. We, we, we understood that process. So with, with that being said, uh, uh, what we're seeing now is, is the, the, trans, the transition that went into my community in which power of the left took over and destroyed the family, destroyed the free market. We're now seeing that in our country. So unfortunately, uh, it's going to come down to we the people. We're going to make a decision on which direction we're going to go. Um, I would say this. The upside is that um, that Americans did something that, that we just have a tendency of, of doing the right things at the right time. We, we flipped 15 seats. We kept every single other incumbent seat. So we have the, the closest mar- margin ever 
since well, since uh, the, the World War II, which basically means this: those who quote are moderate, those who want to keep their seat on the Democratic side, they're going to have to start. They have to come back to the middle. They they have to come back to working with those who want our country moving forward, having safety, having business open. If they don't do that, they're going to lose their 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 positions. And, and I'll say this about uh, about my friends on the other side: they do not want to lose their seats. So I, because of that, we came together, even though we lost the House, the Senate. And in, uh, in, in, in the uh, the presidency, we will have more conversations as we get closer to 2020, uh, 2022 because of survival of Democrats who just want to make sure they're around and they have to, to leave that hard left to get that done. Congressman, you brought up earlier, uh, you know, I think one problem for politics today is we're really not viewing people as people anymore, right? Yeah. And tell us a little bit about your background. You grew up in Tallahassee. I think you went to Florida State. Tell us a little bit about that. Then also, I'd like you, when you're done with that, tell us what is the difference today between um, just the attitude, what you see today with our current cultural versus what was happening in the 60s and 70s and, you know, the, the civil rights movements, uh, okay. the anti-war protests. And what, what do you do? You see the same type of anger both times. But first, tell us a little bit about you and your family. Where, where, okay. where, where did Burgess okay. Owens come from? OK. And Chuck, I appreciate that, because one of the things that that I, I love to, to talk about is this great generation that came uh, before us uh, that would be very, very disappointed at this point, be uh, disheartened to see what's happened to this legacy they left us. Because I grew up in the 60s, the days of KKK, Jim Crow, uh, 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 segregation, Tallahassee, Florida. My first uh, interactions with white Americans didn't happen until I was 16 years old when I was integrating uh, this, this high school. So 16 but, years old, 16 years old is the first time you were, you, you, you were meeting and talking with white people. Exactly. And then it wasn't a, a very positive experience because we were trying to figure out, <laughs> trying to figure out how, how, these, how these cultures could come together. And, and, and here's my point about our great country. First of all, we are a nation, because of our Judeo-Christian values, that uh, that uh, they do the best in anyone in the history of mankind of looking at each other from inside out versus outside in. Not that we've been done it perfectly, but we've continued to progress and continue to grow. Uh, and and the, the one thing about that time that I was growing up in the Deep South is even though we were not assimilating as a country, not only the blacks, but Italians, uh, uh, Jews, we, we all had our separate cultures and, 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 and communities because we were not assimilating. But here's the one thing we had in common. We loved our country. We believed in meritocracy. Uh, we had dads who came back from World War II, and we just loved seeing that flag flow, flow and we loved, again, the, the concept of what America's all about. And the other thing is, even though it wasn't perfect and never will be, we had to, we had to believe that if we follow the tenets that make our country great, that we can, we can succeed. And my community was just like the other ones. We did not demand respect or ask for it. We commanded it by winning. It's meritocracy. And so we were very, very competitive. Matter of fact, the most competitive race in our nation at that time. I would compare it to the way the respect we have for Asian community today, um, the Nigerian community. We see people who come here and they just work hard and they make things happen. That's that's who we were. In the 40s, 50s, and 60s, the black community led our country in the growth of the middle class. Men matriculated from college. Men committed to marriage in a percentage of entrepreneurs. And that 40 percent of entrepreneurs in our communities across our country equated to 50 to 60 percent of black Americans being part of the middle class. And, and if, if you can see the fact that the money stayed in that community, the leadership stayed there, the dreams, the, the commitment, the expectation for our kids stayed in that community, uh, that's why we had so much success. <clears throat> and that's why I could leave 
I could leave uh, Tallahassee, go to University of Miami. I was the third black to get a uh, scholarship there. I left there, wanted to be a marine biologist. Why? Because I was raised in a community that education was everything. And, and, and not only did my parents expect me to succeed in that, in that arena, but my expectation was I didn't want to let my community down, I didn't, I didn't want to let my family down, and I didn't want to let my race down. That was the way we saw ourselves in those, those years. Sadly, we've lost that. And we've lost that not because of, of uh, white supremacists. Uh, we lost it because of black elitists, um, people among us. Congressman, we're going to take yeah. a quick break here, then I want to get back to that and talk about a little bit about your siblings and and do you still want to be a marine biologist when you grow up. So we'll be right back. This is Broken Potholes with Kip and Chuck. Thanks a million. It's the new year and time for a new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from godaddy.com today. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from godaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. We're with the irrepressible Kip, and I am Chuck Warren, and today we're with an honor to have with us a Congressman Burgess Owens, um, a member of Congress from Utah's Congressional District 4, one of the um, uh, members of Congress this past cycle that defeated an incumbent Democrat. Um, it was a nail-biter. It took, Congressman, how many days did it take till they finally declared you the winner? Gosh, it took about uh, two and a half weeks. <laughs> I remember I kept talking to your staff, what's the news today? And they go, what do you know? I said, I don't know anything. What do you know? So... Um, yeah, so let's go back a little bit more and talk about growing up in Tal. I'm actually heading out to Tallahassee later this week for some meetings, but um, tell people a little bit more about Tallahassee, growing up okay. there, about your family, about your mom, um, and, and do you still long to, do you like the ocean still? I mean, that, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a, an interesting decision by a, a boy in Tallahassee saying, I want to become a marine biologist. So yeah. let's talk about it a little bit. Well, well uh, first, first of all, and I do want to share some, some thoughts about my, my parents, because they were a remarkable, remarkable generation, but... One of the things that uh, that uh, we were taught uh, is, is that when somebody told us you couldn't, that's when you you really hunker down and make sure you prove them wrong. And uh, one of the things that uh, that came out of my decision to become a marine biologist coming out of high school is that in those days, and this is this is how far we've come. In those days, uh, black people weren't thought to be very intelligent, and it was something that that just that it was a it was a thought process that we could not accomplish those kind of things. And I remember getting uh, the word from someone that didn't believe I could do this. Someone had had just had been going to Florida State, and and I made a decision that uh, they, I was going to prove them wrong. So even though I decided my third year in uh, at, at University of Miami that I didn't want to be a marine biologist anymore, uh, I was determined to to uh, to get that degree. So I lived in the library to prove that guy wrong. So and that that actually Chuck is the way that community my my that generation. Um, saw things. If you told them they could not succeed, they were gonna they were gonna double down to prove you wrong. And I I'm just so thankful I've I've been experienced experienced that. A little, little quick background about my my mom and dad. Uh, 
dad went to World War II. Um, uh, he volunteered at 19 years old, and he always said to the end of his days that he was the, one of the most proud moments was he volunteered because that changed his life in terms of opportunities later on. Uh, he came back from the war, could not get his postgraduate degree down south in Texas because of Jim Crow laws. <laughs> I ran across a box of letters uh, after he passed away, of rejection letters from colleges across the country, and he was rejected because of his color. And again, that 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 uh, generation uh, looked at it as motivation, and he ended up continuing moving forward till he got uh, accepted to Ohio State, where he got his uh, PhD in agronomy. He had an older brother got his PhD at Ohio State in, in economics. They both were college professors for 40 years, uh, business owners. Um, we traveled the world. Remarkable success stories because again, it, it, it really it's not about the color. This is what I realized growing up in this family. It's not about the color. It's your attitude, it's your work ethic, and it's your understanding that if you highlight four basic things, faith, uh, education, the family unit, and take some risks in the free market, those four tenets will allow anyone to get to the, the middle class. And my, my race showed how that looked like. So that was a college professor. My mom was a, was a teacher, um, a junior high school teacher. And, and, and we, we, we traveled. We had a chance when I was uh, before going into integrated school. We took an entire summer from Tallahassee with five kids with a pop-up tent, traveling from Tallahassee to California to Canada, back to North and South Dakota, big loop. Took an entire summer, and this uh, is and, and we stopped at every national park there was because education, exposure to those kind of things were important to my that generation. And I'm so thankful for them opening up our eyes to what's available and, and what's out there and an idea of critical thinking. Well, you had to, I mean, you had to do that, Dan, without an, without an iPhone, so that means you had to talk to each other, too, the whole summer. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a remarkable feat. How, 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 about, how, about, how about this? Going through the, going through the, going through the uh, desert without air conditioner. I mean, I tell you, the old school. Was, that, was, that, uh, hey, that, old that builds true love. And, I, you know, back then, probably, too, they had those wood panel um, you know, um, station wagons, which no oh. one knows about anymore. They were just horrible. <laughs> and they had the, know. you know, the bench seats, and no one had seatbelts, so it was pretty big. How big a role did Faith play in your family growing up? How much, how much I'm sorry. Faith, faith, faith religion. Faith, oh, did it play faith, a role? You know, faith, faith was everything to our community and to us individually. And uh, I'm, again, I'm thankful to have had that foundation because obviously along the way you have to find your own faith. But it's so nice to be, grow up in a family that at least uh, has that as my priority so you can at least get an idea of where to start looking when your time comes where you have to start looking. And uh, it was it was very, very important. Um, and I'm just so thankful again. At some point, at my young my in my young days, when you realize um, that you really are here for a purpose, and that's because you have a family that that, that not only talks about it but shows you, but also shows how the work looks in, in the real world. I want to share one thing with my dad, for instance. And talk about faith and 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 the idea of, of what what I understood men were supposed to do. Uh, we we had um, in those days there was it was integrated bathrooms. So when you, you go to to, uh, uh, to service stations, you have a, a, a white women only, white men only, and in the back colored. And we would travel from Tallahassee to Texas every summer. That's where my extended family is. And Dad would always start up very early in the morning. So by the time we got to Texas, we had been sleeping most of the night. But then I, I, really, I really remember having a, a time when we went to the service station, and Mom went into the white, rest, white women's restroom. And these two guys tried to knock down the door. And I watched my dad. I must have been maybe 10 years old. Watch my dad get out of the car and go deal with both of them. Uh, he did what what men are supposed to do to protect and provide for for their their wife, their family. 
and it showed me first of all what, what courage looked like from a man's point of view. And 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 as my mom came out when when she was done, I'm sure she had pride in him doing what he was supposed to do to stand up for him. So that was the first step of that process. When I got back home, they never brought it up again. But I remember walking past their room, just fortunate to walk past their bedroom when they, Dad was talking to Mom about cutting up the card, the, the credit card for that service that service chain. And 50 years later, we talked about this experience, and um, and, I, and I was laughing about it. I said, Dad, yeah, I said, Dad, did that really happen the way I thought? He said, Yeah, not only did that happen, but I never dropped, I never bought a drop of gas in that service station a chain again. Now, what that showed me was what principle looked like. Not only did I see courage from my dad uh, at that moment. But I saw principle 50 years later of something he stood by, he, he kept his word, and though no one ever knew about it, and I believe that that, that gas chain never lost a, you know never lost any sleep about him not buying from there, he, he, he felt good about it himself, and he was able to, 50 years later, tell his son, this is how principle looks like. So I just want to, it's just remarkable uh, generation, and it's some, something that, that I feel extremely, um, uh, uh, have an obligation to make sure that America does, does not look at my past generations as hopeless and helpless, waiting for uh, another generation, another another race to take care of them. We we were competing, and we need to get back to that with the right with the right policies. If you were to talk to a um, a, a young college student today, um, explaining your past, and they say, "Well, you deserve reparations," I know you've been opposed to it. Why why should they not support that? Well, it's demeaning. It's uh, it's a demeaning way of looking at people when you see see. Uh, first of all, this whole this whole idea is because of our skin color. We've been oppressed. We've been uh, we've been hapless. We've been waiting for people to give us a break. It's a big lie. That's why the that's why the that's why my history is so important. Uh, I, I, you know, you look at look at the lifestyle that that generation has just talked about gave many of us. We were living a better lifestyle than many whites from that time. I don't know how many other white Americans during the 1950s had had, had gone to Africa because my dad was a was a was a was doing some research in that, in, in Africa, Liberia, Africa. So if you look at the success of the black community along with the the the, the Asian community, the Italian community, the all congressman, of us, congressman, it, it, I'm a, I, we're going to quickly take a quick break, and I'll be back. Please don't lose that thought. This is Broken Potholes. We'll be right back. It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from godaddy.com today. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. We are sans Sam Stone today. He missed a connection for a red eye back to the studio. Um, I'm here with our irrepressible Kylie Kipper. We call her Kip. And I am Chuck Warren, and today we are honored to have with us Congressman Burgess Owens from CD4. We were talking before the break about reparations and why Congressman Owens, who lived in a segregated community, did not interact with his first white 
person until he was 16, why he's opposed to it. Congressman, continue that line of thought. I'm sorry for the, the okay. segment break. No, no problem. Re- the idea of reparation only works if you know, don't know our history. If, you, if we know our history and if we're proud of it and we should see success along the way, if we see the overcoming of all obstacles, then there's no way we're asking other people uh, to, uh, to uh, apologize for where we are today. The other part of reparation, it takes the, the pressure off people today to live up to the potential that they, they do truly have. And, 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 it, and it, it, what it comes down to, anyone in this country can succeed if they're willing to work. If they're willing to not feel sorry for themselves, get back up when they fall down, uh, have faith in something bigger, bigger than themselves so they're not selfish, and focus on commitment to God, country, family, and respect of women and authority. Those are things that anybody can do if, in case... You want to go the route of reparation, you don't have to do any of that stuff. Just wait for somebody to pay you for something you never went through, never had any part of, and for people who didn't do anything against you. So it is, it's a very divisive concept. It's, again, I cannot speak strong enough. It is done on purpose to divide people for their color, their race, their gender. And that's an ideology we have to fight up against. So, no, I, 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 don't, I don't apologize, first of all, for... Uh, what, my, what my parents went through, because they succeeded. And I'm apologize for our nation that's become better and better every single generation. It's given us the opportunity to live the dreams that we're living today. Thank you. Congressman, that's, that's great to hear. And I, uh, you played in the NFL for 10 seasons, and we haven't yet touched on that. But I, can you talk a little bit more about your experience um, there and then as well as your post-NFL experiences? Sure, with... sure. <laughs> well, again, my experience in the NFL was American Dream. Uh, it, uh, uh, to, to, to play with, I played a lot of losing teams. Finally, got to the Raiders when they used to win football games. Kip, I don't know how you're old, but you might not remember those days if you're young at all. <laughs> but there was a time when Raiders used to win football games. And then I left the NFL to start a business, and and I left very cocky, uh, very uh, uh, much believing that all I could do, I had to do, was work real hard and throw a lot of money at whatever I did, and I would succeed. And that's kind of what happens when you get you, you go the route of athletics. And I had a humbling experience nine years later when everything I was working for went under. I lost everything. I moved from my uh, beautiful home on Long Island to a one-bedroom basement apartment for a few months with four kids. And, and I, this is where the training of my youth came through because I was taught that a man does anything he has to do that's honest and, and, and hard to, do, to, 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 to survive, to take care of his family. And so I was for a few months, I was a chimney sweep on a day and a security guard at night. Very humbling, and believe me, I had some long nights wondering how in the world did this happen. But because of my training, because of my uh, faith, I knew that this was temporary, and I knew I ought to just, just do what I could, work as hard as I could, and it will it will turn around. And, uh, and with the next year, I was I, I began my, my career that lasted 25 years as a a corporate account executive. Um, Motor uh, worked perfect initially. Were, uh, Motorola, my last one as a national account rep. But th- this is the, the message that all of us are going to have tough times. It's how we deal with those times. Do we stay positive? Do we believe in ourselves, our country, the, the American way, and in meritocracy? If we do, we come out of it. If you go the other way of thinking somebody that at fault, somebody owes me something, believe me, you will stay miserable because you're going to be the one, the person that's in that situation individually that has to bring themselves out with the help of others. So that's the way I look at it. It's, uh, it was a great experience, and I'm so glad I went through it. We'll never have to go through that again, but it, it really does give me uh, uh, you know, contrast right. of uh, what this country's about. Congressman, we have two minutes left in this short little segment here. Um, when that happened, you're in this beautiful home on Long Island. The next thing you know, you're in a basement apartment with four kids, and you're a chimney suite. You're like from Mary Poppins, right? You got, you know, you're, <laughs> you're doing this thing here. Um, what? How long? I mean, when that happens. 
Were you just angry, or how long did it take you just to get humble and just say, you know what, my parents taught me these principles, my faith taught me these principles, I'm pulling up my chin strap, and I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make the most out of this and get out of this. What, what was the process for you? The, the process is, first of all, uh, first of all, expect, accept, accepting responsibility, uh, knowing that you made mistakes, but, but this country gives you a chance to, to start up again. I, I'm glad that we didn't have social media. I'm glad right. we didn't have cell phones. Uh, you know, no one knew about it. My dad didn't know about it until I had come out of it. But it, it's all about the attitude. This country gives us a, chance, a second chance. That's what's good about America. And I knew that then, and I can say that anybody out there who's listening, listening to this conversation, yes, I was an NFL player, but after that I was a chimney sweep. And if I can do it, you can do it. That's the most powerful nine words anybody, any American gives to, to another. We have 30 seconds left. How would you like being a chimney sweep? How, how long did you do that? <laughs> About four months, but it was it was it was humbling to to have somebody come out and recognize me as a former football player, as cleaning his, his chimney sweep. It was a humbling. Okay, yeah, can Don't you can you imagine that being in social media today? Oh my gosh! Oh, forget it. Oh forget my it. goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh. This is Broken Potholes with Congressman Burgess Owens and the irrepressible Kylie Kipper. We will be back with you after the short commercial break to pay the bills. Thanks, gang. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote domain from GoDaddy. Get yours now. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. Um, I'm Chuck Warren with Kylie Kipper, and today we are honored to have with this former congressman, Burgess Owen, also a two-time Super Bowl champion. Um, Burgess, a, a question for you. You know, 80% of the voters, a New York Times did a survey a couple years ago, that 80% of voters don't really follow politics, right? And and you go and you read um, two-thirds of people who see a newspaper article only read the headline. Yeah. Okay. How? What is something you wish these voters would know? Because I don't think they're all left i don't think they're all woke i think they're hard-working people they've got yeah. family and kids what do you wish they would know those who don't really follow it and you know and, and, and look politics could be aggravating i have a friend that's you know dealing with some medical conditions and the doctor gave her a prescription one was don't watch cable news literally that was his prescription but what do you wish these voters would know well i think uh, there was something that thomas jefferson said uh, ignorant and free can never be uh, and as our nation uh, wakes up and engages and educates themselves, we're a much freer nation. Uh, at the same time, we have a tendency of, of living this this freedom bubble, where we wake up every day, we just take for granted, think good things are going to happen, we plan our vacations, our retirement, our memories of our kids, and every now and then we need to have a shocker, we need to have contrast. And that's what happened, you know, go back to 9-11, to Pearl Harbor in 2020. I think that the, the things that come out of this is that we will be more engaged than we have in the past because we now know so much relies on it. As we go to our pump, you see uh, what used to be $37, the Philbert's kind of tank now costs $67. That's sometimes, that, that, at that point, it's a, it's a personal impact. When, I, when we can't put our kids in school, uh, no matter what side of the aisle we're on, we can't go to church, we can't, our business goes under because we can't run up our business, that's when we become engaged with politics, because we realize that policies are driving decisions that impact us individually. And that's, that's where I believe we're going to have coming out of this, probably the best opportunity for our nation as a whole to see contrast. And that we need that at times. We, we need it in our lives. 
I mentioned my experiences of a chimney sweep. I have more appreciation for what I'm doing now than ever before because I went through that process. And what's happening now is our country are seeing that we came out of this environment in which for four years, we, the lowest unemployment of blacks, Hispanics, Asians, you go through the litany of, of good things that are happening, uh, uh, energy independent. Uh, we're, we're beginning to control the border, which allows the, the increase of income for those here in the country. And all of a sudden, we're starting to see a difference in that. So, yes, we will have more conversations about policies, politicians and their stance now, now this coming, coming out of this year than ever before. And I think it's a good thing for us. So I, I, I see it's a positive in that regard. The more educated we are, the more we talk, the more we expect the information to come through that's true and real, the freer we're going to be as a nation. What, um, what book or books has changed your life? You know, everybody says I have a, it's not a, it's not a favorite book. What is a book yeah. that motivated you to change? The, the, the first one was Think and Grow Rich, and that was uh, by Napoleon Hill back in the 30s. It just dealt with the, the power of the thought process and, and, and attitude. Uh, I'm one of the guys that uh, got into reading because uh, I was very, very shy introverted, and I didn't want to be there. So I started reading more positive books that allowed me to feel more confident in myself. Uh, the one I'm reading now, it's a really pertinent and timely book to me. It's The Naked Communist, uh, written back in 1958. It is, it is, uh, um, is evergreen. It explains what we're up against in terms of ideology, ideology that, that we're fighting against right now that keep, that's trying to keep us divided. Um, at the same time, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the man, man from Mars and Women from Venus. I read that one. Uh, <laughs> so, so I think based on where we are, Sometimes it's based on our self-esteem. I've, I've read a lot of positive thinking books, Magic of Thinking Big, Think and Grow Rich, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, because I, I was just so tired of being so shy. And then now I'm reading books that uh, deal with the Constitution, deal with our country, deal with ideology, because I, I need to understand what our enemy is so I can explain it and articulate that so we can come out of this and get our country back. At the same time, you know, there are times when it's about relationships. It's uh, uh, the, the Five Love Languages, a great book to, to, to help you know what your partner, your spouse is, is all about. So that language it, It's also a good one probably dealing with members of Congress. I mean, there may be some members who just, frankly, just need a hug, right? I mean, just, they're grumpy. They need a hug. <laughs> well, and, and, and that's going to be up to us. As we the people, we need to put people in place that have hope, that are positive. And, and, and what we see in Congress is really a kind of reflection of us because they represent us. And I think the next two years, because we are a country that leans and drifts toward the light, we're going to start seeing more Republicans. As a Republican, I think we have hope. We, we look at opportunity. We look at the ability to dream and have a business and, and have your children have choices. I think we're going to drift more toward that because we now see what it looks like not to have it. So this is going to be a good chance for we the people to really uh, paint who we are. And we are people that have always been that drift toward the light. Congressman, with so much... Um facts and non-facts and the news telling us one thing, TV commercials telling us others. How do you communicate with someone and tell someone that what their fact and what they're saying isn't true? So, for example, the Georgia election law, there's so many um, things that are being said about it that just aren't yeah. true. How do you communicate that with them? Well, we have to, first of all, be patient with those that we're talking with. You know, what, what made my, my uh, uh, our country so good in the community I grew up in is I was taught in those days you can respectfully agree to disagree. We need to get back to that. That only happens when we have the confidence in ourselves to have to have conversations. Uh, so part of part of this is, is short term. We need to have the confidence and the boldness to be honest and be truthful. 
And for those who say that black people cannot have the, the, the ability to get up and get and get, a, get an ID like everybody else, that's mm-hmm. pure racism. Do not put down a race through this way of saying we don't have the intelligence to go out and do what every other race does, which is to get an ID so you can get on the plane, get in the car, go to college, get a savings account. And if those who are not doing that right now, and by the way, this has been for 20 years, been hearing this, this mess. If, you, if people don't have ID, help them get one, because you cannot right. get to the middle class without having that, that basic tool of identifying who you are. Yeah, I mean, I mean, frankly, it's just something. Frankly, Republicans, conservatives need to say, "Look, the state will provide you an ID if you can't afford one." I mean, this—you're absolutely right. It's just yeah. you don't think that way, but you can't really do much in life without a state-issued picture ID. And I know that drives our libertarian friends nuts, but that is just the world we live in, and it's it's disappointing. What is it? Uh, on a funny note, what is the strangest question you were asked on the campaign trail that you just got it and you're just like, really? That's what, that's what you're coming up with today. What is the strangest question you were asked? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess the strangest uh, was when somebody literally called me a white supremacist, and uh, I had to deal <laughs> with that. I had to try to explain how do I even start answering this question. <laughs> so so and, and, and here, here's, here's, my, here's my message to all of us out there. You know, as, as, as humans, we all think, we all have the freedom of thinking, and our thoughts should never be tied into our skin color. Uh, our idea, our, our our, the idea of meritocracy, of, of, of achieving, should never be tied into our skin color. It's all attitude, it's all upbringing, it's what we see in ourselves, and how, how big we're willing to dream. If, we, if we're able to dream big and realize we deserve those dreams, we'll overcome any obstacle, any downside, anything negative people talk about us, and that's who we've always been as a, as a nation, and we have to make sure we raise our kids to believe that in themselves. Don't worry about the downside. We all have them, but we come out of it much stronger if we recognize it was for our good, number one, and they were here to do much, much bigger and better things to move forward. Let me, move forward. let me ask you this question. So let's say your football career was now in this decade with the, you know, I love the minimum NFL, the minimum contract now for a, a veteran player of seven years is like $1.3 million, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just the yeah. minimum yeah. if you have seven years playing. But yeah. imagine if you played then, two-time Super Bowl winner, starting free safety on the most popular team and most hated team in the nation. It's not the Cowboys. I hate <laughs> to break it to everybody back then. Um, would, you would have made substantially more money. Would you still have faced the same financial reckoning you had then just because of how you treated it? What a good question, Chuck. First of all, I'm so thankful that I played during that time because in those days you can make big mistakes and you and and, and, it, and it hits you quickly. Yeah, you didn't have a lot of a lot of fluff. So so it took me nine years to lose everything. Today, uh, with the kind of money being people make, you can stay pretty um, pretty much insulated, an elitist, uh, clueless for a lot longer before you lose it all. And at some point, you have to. Uh, you know, I, I see it this way: life is about being humble. Either we're humble or humbled with ED. And the goal very simply is to. To, to decide to, to lean in being humble as, as soon as you can. And, and I'll tell you what, the greatest thing that happened to me was losing that, that business because I had a chance to reflect on everything in my life, recognize that success is not guaranteed, and that if you fall flat, you can truly get back up. And the message of that is sharing with other people that they can do the same thing. So I'm glad I went through that era that we came through with staying for the flag. The, the, the national anthem was a big thing. I, could, I would get teary-eyed listening to the Washington White flag flow. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that time I grew up in, so I can 
give be a message messenger for those living today that this that it doesn't have to be this way, my friend. Uh, we we are much better right. than we are today, and we can we can overcome by recognizing where our enemy is. We've got and two, we can do to, to, together. We can do good things together for sure. We've got two minutes left with you. Um, what is if, if 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 life ends tomorrow and you've had all your successes and you you know you, you take everything with you. What are two or three lessons or bits of advice you want to make sure that your children, your friends, your neighbors, your constituents know that you know through experience and hard work will just make life better and more meaningful? I would say the first thing to do is wake up every morning and think, thank the Lord in heaven that you're here as an American, that you have an opportunity to get up with, with dreams and opportunities to, to, to achieve your goals uh, and put things in, in perspective. I mentioned before, I was raised very simply with, with, with the knowledge of respect for God, country, with love for God, country, family, and respect for women authority. If I can say how to, how to summarize being a good American, what it looks like, how to be a happy American, how to be a happy person, and leave with a legacy, just start off with that. Love of God, country, family, respect for women authority, and believe me, you do that. At the end of the day, life goes by so fast. But boy, you look back on it and say, man, it was a really good trip. It was a nice way to go. And I have friends around me, I have family that I love. They love me because I did it the right way. And I have a God in heaven who's blessed me because I did my best to be the best I could be. Well, my friend, um, we appreciate you coming on, taking the time for your busy schedule today. And um, we wish you the best of luck, and we hope that you keep going, doing good things. And um, God bless you and your family. Chuck, you and Kip, thank you so much for the opportunity. Let's do it again, my friend. Love Thanks, my friend. Look forward right. to it. Thank you very you much. Take care. All right, bye-bye. That was Congressman Burgess Owens, who um, gave us a little extra time today. And um, I'll tell you, Kip, I was really surprised at the first time he talked to a white person was 16 years of age. And so I, I, I imagine when he hears some moron say, you're a white supremacist, he must have just, I mean, I'm sure he almost has flashbacks. Absolutely. That's I mean, that's insane. That was not that's not anything that I can even comprehend because how I grew up, I'm 26 years old. That was not even a thing like. No, you didn't experience that. People... No, you didn't. You didn't. And, um, you know, what's funny is the inner cities are the most segregated part of our country now because people base it upon neighborhoods. If you really studies have shown, if you really want to be in a. You know, a non-segregated community, go live in the suburbs. So it's um, it's really amazing. But um, yeah, that was an interesting take around. And I'm glad we had the opportunity to talk about his background. And his parents just seemed to be real pillars of their community. Probably the church, we didn't talk enough about that, and his family. Um, boy, I can't imagine driving my kids across the United States without an iPad or iPhone. I, you know, it, I'm not a drinker, but boy, it makes me want to really, you know, take it up there i know well a, a quick little sunshine moment really Let's quick, a quick sunshine we, moment yeah um i wanted to talk that he burgess owens is the ceo of uh second chance for youth and i think this comes from his background and we didn't get a chance to talk about it today but they are dedicated to helping incarcerated youth during their post-release phase so he has even after his nfl career his post nfl experiences he's still figuring out a way because he knows through his experiences that he's able to help these these men and women post their incarceration. It's very important. So we appreciate everybody being with us today. Um, and we hope you learned something new about Congressman Owens. And um, we are broken potholes. Kip, do you have any final comments for our listeners before they leave? 
It was great being your co-host today, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> As she says meekly and humbly here on the high towers of the Patriot in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, this is Broken Potholes. Um, next week, are we having... Did we contact Debbie Lesko? Ah, we'll try it. Yep, we contacted her. We'll see. We'll see. We're, <laughs> we're, we're waiting. But we'll be back with you next week. Thank you for joining us today at Broken Potholes. Have a great weekend, folks. 